Families are great. Eh, sometimes. Hopefully most of the time, but you know how things can get. One family member knows just the right thing to say to provoke another one. Or someone says something offensive and then the sparks fly. Some of you have experienced this. And it's not good. There are brothers and sisters and parents who don't even speak to each other anymore. Even the closest of families can experience divisions because of words that are spoken. It's painful. And maybe I've dredged up some hurt for you just now. But I want you to think about that division, that, that separation. I want you to think about that loss and how that feels. And think about the role that God's Word played in those divisions and those difficulties, if it did at all. Jesus talks to us today and he teaches us that a Christian loves God above all and he addresses this matter of, of talking. Jesus expected opposition and he got it. What do you think about the way he talked about it here? Do not think that I came to bring peace to the earth. <clears throat> I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. You might find that surprising. It may be confusing. At the birth of Jesus, angels descended from heaven to earth to proclaim this message. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward mankind. And at the time of Jesus, his disciples and many other people were expecting a Savior who would come and bring to Israel national independence and peace for the Lord's people. And yet Jesus says, this is not why he came. A sword. A thing that divides and damages and destroys. That's what he came to bring. What? That does not sound like the, the gentle, loving Jesus that I have pictured in my mind. That doesn't look like the Jesus I see in the stained glass window. At issue is the kind of peace that Jesus came to bring and the way that people react to that message. And that results in the need for a sword, which we'll talk about in a minute. Jesus was born on that Bethlehem night not to bring a worldly peace, but to bring a spiritual peace. He came to live in a way that sinful people do not live. He came to offer that life as a sacrifice that God would accept, one that would pay for the world's sin. That's what the angels were excited about. He came to bring a spiritual peace. That's what the angels were excited about. That's what caused the shepherds to run from the newborn Savior's side and tell everybody about his birth. Jesus came to show himself as the Savior that was promised for so long. He came to tell people to trust in him for forgiveness and for salvation, for a spiritual peace. But you know how people are. You know how you are. We are often most concerned 
with what we experience in our day-to-day lives instead of prioritizing what is pleasing to God and our eternal life. And so we do dumb things that God tells us not to do in order to try to manufacture some kind of peace in our lives. And we may think that having enough money is the thing that will bring me peace of mind, even though we know that banking on wealth is risky because there are so many ways that it can disappear. Domineering parents can bring obedience and a certain quietness to children, but that doesn't bring actual peace to the home. Deep down, we may know the truth about something, but we tell ourselves something else. We choose to believe something different in order to bring peace to our hearts. But deep down, we still know, and we don't get that peace that we're looking for. We even try to convince ourselves that our sins are not so serious so that we feel better. But all it takes to rob us of any kind of peace that brings us is to stumble across a certain Bible passage or hear it here in church. We focus on the wrong kind of peace, like worldly people do, like ungodly people do. We need the reminder, just like Jesus' first disciples did, that worldly peace is not why Jesus came. He was concerned with spiritual peace. And just as he met with objection when he proclaimed this, he says that we will too. And since he talks about our families here, our closest relationships, what he says sounds terrible. It sounds wrong, even. The same Lord who tells us in the commandments to honor our parents, who tells us that parents are not to exasperate their children, is the same Lord who says, I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. We don't want to hear this because we're very interested in having uh, a worldly peace. And then he makes this personal when he says that you and I are not worthy of him if we fail to love him even above our families. That's a hard thing to hear. The sword is what Jesus used. That's the thing that caused division. That's the thing that, that caused relationships to disintegrate. We might think about what God says about the sword in Ephesians. At all times, hold up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Also, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Jesus' word is like a sword that divides people, even family. It disrupts family peace when God receives the priority over family members. But how often don't we present ourselves to God as people who are unworthy of Christ because we let our spiritual peace be threatened so that we can enjoy some kind of worldly peace with our friends and with our family? 
we don't broach touchy subjects that, that God speaks about because we don't want to offend people. We don't want to threaten our relationships. Is it right to be the kind of person who avoids talking about God with family members, with our friends? Listen to Jesus and you tell me. We do that to keep the peace at a 4th of July barbecue or a Thanksgiving dinner, and, and we might accomplish some, some level of worldly peace. But Jesus isn't interested in that. That's not to be the, the first concern of Christians who put God and love God above all else. Oh, we get brave enough sometimes, I'm sure. But probably not often enough. We tread too lightly. We avoid confrontation altogether sometimes. Our love for our earthly relationships trumps our love for following what Jesus says. It even trumps our love for the spiritual and eternal peace of our brother or our sister or our parent or our child or our friend. And quite simply, this is a cross that we are not always willing to bear for God. Then Jesus' words sting, don't they? Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. We're guilty and we're sorry and hopefully we are repentant. We ask for God's forgiveness. We ask for the Holy Spirit to strengthen us so that we don't sin that way again. And as forgiven followers of Christ, we want next time to show that we love God above all. The point of Jesus' work as our Savior was to bring spiritual peace. He brings, he restores peace with God. It's his forgiveness that makes us worthy to be called Christians. And then he defines Christians as those who love God above all else. The Holy Spirit strengthens us through his word, through his sacraments, so that we are willing to bear a cross of suffering, including threats to even our closest relationships or even the loss of those relationships. As we display our love for God above all else, it will disrupt peace within our families sometimes. We see it when spouses and children don't want to go to church on a Sunday morning, but there's somebody in the house who knows and says that it's God's will to go. Spouses argue with each other because one of them wants to give offerings to God in a way that God says is pleasing to him. Is someone in the family opposed to a, a church funeral for their loved one? Even though that's what that person would have expected to be done 
as a witness to all those that cared about them. Does family not understand when you say that you won't be at a particular event at a particular time because you're serving at church or you're going to church? Some family members just get annoyed any time God is brought into a conversation. The opposition, the rejection by family members is a cross that Christians bear. And not silently. There would be no divisions. There would be no disruptions of peace if we sat there quietly and we let a fake peace rule over everything and everyone when the Prince of Peace is looking for us to take up our cross and follow him. A Christian does what Christ did, and that was not to sit silently while people slip off into hell. You can probably see how this is actually a loving thing to do. This shows how much we love our family and friends to share with them what Christ says with a Christ-like love. This is hard. Though this is hard, God gives heavenly rewards when we do what God expects from his disciples. For example, when we admit our sin in this area, we find forgiveness. We find the renewed promise of eternal life in Jesus. These are blessings from God. Jesus is pleased when we follow him and we do these things. Just knowing that he is pleased is rewarding for us. When we do speak up and we properly represent our Savior, we're sharing his word with people who need to hear it. Well, what if they listen? They might listen. It it might be the first time. It might be after a few times. It might be a dozen times. But what if they listen? When they do, it's not just a blessing for you to witness that. It's a huge blessing to them because it results in a heavenly reward, a heavenly peace for them. Here, Jesus was sending his disciples out to tell people about forgiveness and salvation uh, in him. And he wanted them to know what they were to do and what they were to expect. And so he was up front about the difficulties they would face, about the opposition they would meet with. But he also indicated that some would listen. Some would uh, receive. He talks about receiving. Some would receive those disciples. That meant that they would receive the message of the disciples, that they would believe that message. Well, some will receive us too. A prophet, he talks about. A prophet is one who shares what God says and that person has the reward of eternal life. He uses that word prophets. He extends it to the disciples because they would share God's word. And so it's extended to you and me, Jesus' disciples today, as we share God's word. And people who receive us, when we share that word, they also have the reward that we have. They have the reward of eternal life. The person who received God's message from the least of those disciples and did kind things for them, as simple as giving them a cup of water, because they were Christ's representatives, those people have God's reward. People will listen, and they will respond well 
when we share God's message too. It's good for us to hear these last words of Jesus on this subject because some of this is pretty tough. These are very positive. They give us hope. They give us joy. Some are going to receive us when we represent him and we share his word. Some will listen when we speak like a prophet would speak. Some will listen because we are God's righteous people. And some people will respond in God-pleasing ways. As Christians, we love God above all else. And because we do that, we know there's going to be a cost, sometimes even of the closest relationships. But there's also a reward, a reward of people listening to us, responding, responding to the word of God that we share. And that will bring about heavenly reward for them too. May our love for God be evident in what we do and the things that we say so that God receives glory and we say it for the good of those who see us and who hear us. Amen.